Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome in to the Wednesday night Howell Stern Show. It's been a warmer week in Boulder than usual, at least by most standards, right? I wasn't expecting it to be 81 degrees in October. Yeah, especially after last week, which felt completely like we were deep into fall. And then this week kind of feels like we're back in, in the summer mode a little bit, in the late summer mode. Despite the fact that we're kind of back in the midst of summer, it's still fall in the sense that we're getting into the most important part of football season here. We're going to talk some buffs as they advance to 4-0 and and their season with a commanding 20-point victory over UCLA last weekend. We're also going to talk about Rockies, and later on we're going to have Rocks Pile contributor Jake Shapiro on the show to discuss the Rockies' big, dramatic 13-inning victory last night, which propelled them into the MLB playoffs, and more specifically the NLDS. And later on, we'll talk about the Broncos' struggles. What an amazing game it was with the Kansas City Chiefs coming back from 14 points, 10 points down, scoring 14 unanswered to win the game behind Patrick Mahomes, who continues to just amaze everyone. The, the left-hand Mahomes throw, that's what I will never forget about that game. That, that throw is just incredible. Yeah, whether he throws lefty, whether he throws righty, it seems like he always figures out a win, a win the game, which is the most important thing. But that buffs offense behind LaVisca Chenault, who leads the country in receiving, and improves Steven Montez, who has the best completion percentage in the country, and Trayvon McMillan, who's really, I don't want to say made people forget about Philip Lindsay because no one in Boulder is going to forget about him, but he's done a good job filling those lofty shoes. That, that core of those three players is what's carrying them right now. This offense is on a completely different level than we've probably seen since the early 2000s when Joel Klatt was at quarterback. Mm-hmm. They're unstoppable at this point, and they just wear teams down to to the point where you get into the fourth quarter and you're really not going to stop them because your whole entire defensive line is tired. It's been impressive what Coach Chev has been able to come here and do. And really, they're, it was mostly the second half against UCLA because in the first half, there were a lot of people, especially on Twitter and stuff, that were questioning his play calls, wondering why the offense wasn't at full throttle. They only scored 14 points in that first half, and then... In the second half, we just we saw the bus team that we had gotten used to, and they were just on a roll. They were unstoppable in that second half. Yeah, and with Steven Montez, we really saw what makes him, what made him such a highly touted recruit out of college, and what gave the Buffs such high hope for Steven as a quarterback. He had two rushing touchdowns there in the second half, one from 38 yards where it seemed like everyone in the stadium was completely faked out until he was celebrating in the end zone by fist-bumping Chip. And we've, see, we've seen him take a large step, and I think we can attribute that partially to the play calling of Darren Chivarini. He's really made over the play calling, and it seems like he always has at least one or two receivers wide open. You know what I mean? It seems like he, he always has someone to go give the ball to, and that's something that's helped him a lot. I think you really saw it on that uh, touchdown run that you had mentioned, that read option, quarterback keeper, what, yeah. whatever it is. The whole entire first half, they were running that jet sweep, which wasn't working for the entire game. UCLA was expecting it. UCLA has some really good athletes on defense. So they went from the jet sweep to a little fake jet sweep handoff, and they scored a touchdown on that, giving it to Trayvon McMillan. And they kept on running that play, and then they, they it, it had a little bit of, of an evolution again, and it was the quarterback keeper. And so it was really a triple option that he scored on, even though he, he's not worried about giving that jet sweep off. But Darren Cheverini just keeps on adding little wrinkles to this offense. Yeah. And, and I want to see where he's going to take it. The, mo- the most impressive play, perhaps, was that lateral and then pass forward by Jay McIntyre, where Montez threw the ball behind the line and then Jay Mack hurled it. 25 yards down the field to Kyle Evans. It seems like he always has some trickery up his sleeve. But in a sense, part of his offense has gotten a little bit too predictable with the jet sweeps, LaVisca lining up as the Wildcat quarterback. Perhaps he's opened it up a little bit too much in that sense, shown the opponent what he's going to run. Because, listen, that play with LaVisca down by the goal line I think works nine times out of ten. He's a big receiver. You bring in an extra blocker, and that's going to work. But the jets, the continuous jets, jet sweeps, those types of things, I mean, it's, it's a little bit predictable at this point. Now, I have some confidence that he will be able to switch it up going forward because he's in very innovative and creative in terms of his play designs. You know what I mean? Right. It, the jet sweeps got predictable, and then 
Coach Chev made the proper adjustment there and started handing it off and then made an even, another adjustment and let Montez keep it. I think that's how you get unpredictable is throwing in these different wrinkles into the offense. We know the plays that he likes to run, but how are you going to work off of those plays when they get predictable? And I think Coach Chev has done a really good job of kind of adjusting when he realizes that defense are getting used to what they're doing. And I think he's a guy you can credit for Steven having – the best completion percentage in the entire country. Now, the million-dollar question that everyone's starting to ask, naturally because of how well he's done at the beginning part of the season, is there a chance that he can potentially come out after this year? I know it's going to, at the end of the season, be only one year of really good quarterback play, but is that enough to justify leaving college and seeing and rolling the dice in the NFL? I think it's going to depend a little bit on mock drafts, consultation with his family, that type of thing, but is it... Is it enough to potentially leave? That's sometimes all you need. We saw it uh, two years ago with Mitchell Trubisky and Patrick Mahomes. They yeah. both came out a year early. Patrick Mahomes had um, played some more games at Texas Tech, but Trubisky had only started that one season at North Carolina. So he didn't have much on his resume either. And I think if NFL teams see the talent and see what a guy is capable of, they really don't care how much he plays in college. Yeah. And when you watch Montez, you see the big six foot five frame. You see the way that he can move out outside of the pocket, and you see that big arm, which he really hasn't shown off that much this year. We see it a lot in practice. But um, once they get into like some combine scenarios and stuff, he's really going to show off that arm. And so if they end up just falling in love with his intangibles, I think that's a really good reason to leave early. That's an excellent point. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second, and then I'm going to agree with you. So just, <laughs> just, just hear me out here. I was talking to a scout during the game last weekend who said, yes, he has all the attributes, but as of now, it's hard to think he's going to be picked so high because he runs such a simple option. Like I said, there's always people open. While he has that big arm, he hasn't really had to use it as much. He hasn't had to force the ball down the field. Now, that's kind of all for naught because in the NFL nowadays, we see a lot of offensive coordinators, head coaches, especially Matt Nagy last Sunday when we saw Chase Daniel and Mitch Trubisky line up in the shotgun. I don't think I've ever seen two quarterbacks lined up together with one in the backfield and one taking the snap. That was weird. But anyway, with, co with co uh, coaches bringing in these college-like concepts, I think that kind of helps negate that point. He's going he's gonna to run a very friendly, up-tempo type of system. But I'm just kind of concerned in a sense that he hasn't really been forced to utilize all those attributes. There's no question he has a great arm. There's no question he's a great athlete and can make good throws outside of the pocket. And he certainly has some wheels to boost with, um, you know, with him having some good touchdown, two good touchdown runs and several runs for first downs last Saturday. But at this point, I question if he's been able to show that off enough and if someone's willing to completely take a chance on a guy who hasn't really been forced to do a whole lot of complex things. There's something that can be said for his good decision-making. I think that's one of the things that's allowed him to take the next step this year. But have we seen enough of him and his ability to run an NFL playbook at this point? That's where, that's where I'm at. Yeah, I, I think I'm in complete agreement with you, which I, I don't like to be. This offense has become really simple for Montez, yeah. but it, that's not necessarily his fault. Yeah, I don't know. I, I could see why scouts see that in this offense, but I, I don't think it's like his problem just because the offense is easy for him and he has the, a ton of wide receiver weapons. Yeah. But... In the NFL, it's, remember, it's just, in the NFL, you have to throw the ball into tighter windows. You have There, there has to be a... A second clock going, de ticking off in your head every time when you're throwing the ball. He's been able to buy some time getting out of the pocket and also taking most of his snaps in the shotgun. I mean, we haven't really seen Baker Mayfield, who took 96% of his snaps in the gun in college, struggle under center. I don't think that's going to be something that completely hurts him transitioning to the NFL. I think you can fix that. But in terms of the simplicity of his offense and the fact that he's going to, A, need to move the ball down the field more consistently, B, fit balls into tighter windows, and C, make more throws from inside the pocket where he doesn't have as much time, those are the three things that concern me. Yeah, and those are the three things that you want to see if you're going to spend a first-round pick on him, which yeah. I, I'm not going to argue that he's a first-round pick at all at this yeah. point. Maybe later in the season he can. But I think he definitely has the ability to play in the NFL. And whether he wants to come out after this year or not, I mean, 
I think everybody knows that you get a lot better in your senior year. Yeah. But sometimes you just have to take that opportunity when it presents itself. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at in this situation. He could come out after this year and potentially be a fourth or fifth round pick at the earliest, which means he's probably not going to be able to start anywhere, period, for his first, second, maybe even third year. Now, if he comes out next year and he shows some improvement, he comes out as one of the top quarterbacks in the class, he could be a first or second round pick and start have a chance at starting immediately. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine what Montez looks like with two years under Coach Roper. All we've seen is six months under Coach Roper. And four games, really. Yeah, and four games. And we have seen so much improvement from what kind of quarterback Montez was last year that he could get so much better spending that much more time with Kurt Roper, who has just done magnificent things with Montez. Montez credits him, I think, almost every time he gets an opportunity because he has taught him how to be how to live that quarterback lifestyle that Montez really didn't understand his yeah. first few years on campus. Now he understands how he's supposed to act, what he's supposed to do, which is going into the film room once or twice every day, staying out of trouble, and just worrying about football during the football season, which was something that he didn't really get last year. And now he's understanding coverages and all that kind of stuff. I just I would really want to see his growth that he would have over six more months. Whether we're going to see that or not, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, another guy who's been the topic of discussion pretty much every week we've been on here, as well as the first four games of the season, LaVisca Chenault, who, as it stands right now, leads the country in receiving. In three out of his four games, he's gone over 100 yards in receiving. And he was recently nominated to the Bolitnikoff Award watch list. And during the past weekend, during a unanimous poll that was all over social media, he was at the top of the list. Not only that, he was ranked seventh by the AP and USA Today in the Heisman Trophy competition. Man, has this guy just exploded on the map out of nowhere or what? I mean, not, for the record, neither of us were surprised. We got to go into practice a couple times. We saw him play. We heard about him from a lot of the players. This was he. He was only going to remain a secret from so, for so long in our eyes. But for a national viewer who didn't know about him for the season, he's, he's become one of the best players in college football in a very short amount of time. Yeah, it's pretty surprising how much he's grown uh, nationally through these first four weeks. I know he's leading the nation in receptions and receiving yards. But, I mean, I, just, I really didn't expect this. But he does things out on the football field that, you, that just makes people go, wow. Yeah. And... We have see, had seen some of that in practice, but we didn't know we would see it so consistently. Every single game, he just continues to make plays. He had two of them against UCLA, that catch over the middle with two guys around him yeah, and really like four UCLA guys around him where he jumped in the air and said, said that's mine. Yeah, And then he had that uh, long 50-yard TD grab that he just ran a beautiful route. He was yeah. unstoppable, but that's what's going to happen if you put one-on-one coverage on him and... He, he's just a flat-out playmaker, and I, I'm impressed by the type of national media coverage he's gotten. And I don't know if that's because we have two CU alumni that are very outspoken in the college football media or what, but people are starting to take notice of LaVisca Chenault, and it's really good for CU bus football. Now, now that we've talked a little bit about offense, we, I want to move over to the defensive side of the ball. Again, we're talking buffs here on Radio 1190. Later on in the show, we'll have Jake Shapiro, Rocks Pile contributor on the line. We'll get a little bit of an inside perspective in that lens, and then we'll talk about the worst Denver sports team as it stands right now, the Denver Broncos. But on the defensive side of the ball, one of the things that concerns me about the Buffs is the run defense, which is what killed them last year, is consistently looked like their Achilles heel again. They gave up 151 rush yards on Friday night to the Bruins, which is a Bruins rushing attack which struggled through their first four games, finally came alive, 95 of which came in the first half. They only gave up uh, 56 in the second half, which was definitely an improvement, but there was one 44-yard burst by Joshua Kelly that I think scared a lot of Buffs fans. So they definitely did improve as time went on in the second half. But with a guy like Eno Benjamin from the Arizona State Sun Devils, who currently leads the Pac-12 in rushing yards and touchdowns coming to town next week and a versatile dual-threat quarterback. I I have to imagine they're going to need to figure out how to be better on a consistent basis, come out of the gate, and take away that run game. That has to be the goal for this week. I think it's pretty obvious. He ran for 300 yards this past week. 
which in a way is almost good. It's hard to come back. He had 30 carries, 300 yards. It's hard to bounce back a week after one of those type of games. Yeah. Because you just get the ball so much. It's so much wear and tear on your body. And to add on that, you have to come into altitude and play. That's going to hurt him just a little bit. I still think we're going to see, you know, Benjamin run all over this CU defense. But the key to that will be Nate Landman. Yeah. Last week, it seemed like UCLA game plan to block Nate Landman on every run play. And we really didn't see much of Nate Landman at all that entire game. And I'm sure that ASU is probably going to go in with a similar game plan, especially with the run offense, because that's what CU has to stop your run is number 53. So if they can get out and block 53 on the second level, then they will be able to run all over. Yeah, that's that's kind of where my concern lands. And last year, listen, I know it's a different team, but we saw ASU completely wear down the buffs late in that game. Uh, granted, it was in Tempe, Arizona, in a late fall day. There's always quirky things going on in the Arizona stadiums then. But still, it's it seems like they could potentially replicate that game plan and by the f- fourth quarter comes around, really wear them out. But just like the Buffs have three big playmakers at running back, quarterback, and wide receiver, ASU has a good trio to com- combat that as well. They have not just Benjamin, but Enkeel Harry, who behind LaVisca right now, I think is one of the best is the best receiver in the Pac-12 and has been projected to be a first-round pick as well. And they also have Manny Wilkins, who's I would say one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the entire country, if you will, because he has that uh, dual threat ability. He's very versatile and he has a lot of experience too. So they have two hardships. Now ASU also has some other playmakers out there: Kyle Williams, Frank Darby, who had a huge game against San Diego State a few weeks ago. So not only will the Buffs' run defense be tested, but their their secondary and ab- ability to cover will be tested as well. Which hasn't been tested yet all season. They're, they rank uh, number second in the Pac-12 in pass defense, which you kind of come to expect out of the CU team with uh, Coach McIntyre at the helm. seems like they have a dominant pass defense every year, but I do think that they will try to test them a little bit. And it didn't look like Delrick Abrams was completely healthy this past week. Yeah. He didn't play as much as some expected. But Chris Miller's fully healthy. He played a lot this past week, which should help him out. They have Trey Udofia, Dante Wigley. Not as much depth at safety, but I do think they have the corners to kind of shut these guys down. Nikhil Harry's going to be... He's going to line up in front of Delrick Abrams and be a little bit surprised by that guy's ability. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that, but I think... It's slightly polarizing in the sense that they rank second in pass defense, but they haven't really faced even a decent throwing quarterback, to be completely honest with you. I went back and watched some of the tape from last game. Thompson Robinson, not only did he miss throws to wide open receivers, but he had guys open and he just tucked the ball in and either run or took a sack or was too late to the throw. Manny Wilkins, I don't think is going to do that. I think he's going to try to test these guys, try to make a couple of risky throws to see if he can get some chunk completions, which swings the momentum in the offense's favor, favor, as we've seen, get them going, that type of thing. And he has he has the weapons to do it, too. McIntyre did say this week that um, the CU the CU defensive backs have dropped 10 interceptions so far this season, which I, I was just surprised by that number when he dropped it. Like, you don't see many teams get 10 interceptions yeah. th- throughout the year. I'm sure there will be a few of them in D1 college football that don't reach 10. And so to have that amount of drops means that they are in the right positions, but to slow down Manny Wilkins and Nikhil Harry and the other weapons that they that they have, they're going to need to pick off a few of these balls. They're going to need to kind of settle Wilkins' confidence down because that man is playing with a lot of confidence, being a senior and his team playing pretty well. I, I'm not as high on Manny Wilkins as you might be because I've seen him have some bad games as well. He did. Two, two he, years ago in Boulder in 2016, yeah, he struggled. Two years ago, he had a, a bit of an ankle injury, so he was one-dimensional, which hurt him a lot. So if you, if you force him to be one-dimensional, he will make some mistakes throwing the football because he's not perfect yeah. out there. He, he's not like a, a Will Greer or some of the yeah. other co- big-time college football quarterbacks that we see. He will miss a few throws, so... So you will have to pick a few off to kind of settle them down. And looking on the other side, now we talked ASU's offense against CU's defense. I think that's going to be one of the huge battles come Saturday. But what about CU's offense against ASU's defense? 
They brought, remember, they brought in a completely new coaching staff that was led by the veteran Herm Edwards, who was out of coaching completely for 10 years. He was sitting behind a microphone at ESPN. And then they also brought in Antonio Pierce, one of Edwards' former colleagues over ESPN. And it looks like he's helped revitalize that unit. Now, they've get, they're have they a little bit younger. They've given up a couple big plays. They've struggled against the run at times. But as a whole, I think that unit is much improved from last year. They do look a little bit improved, but like you had already mentioned, they're really, really young. They have two true freshman defensive linemen that play a ton, which some teams have been able to kind of run all over. Um, they have two, I think it's two true freshman linebackers as well that they're not starters. I think one of them is a starter, and the other one plays a lot. So they have a lot of true freshmen that they have had to force to play because that defense was so bad from a year ago. And these guys are good players, but they're just not as big and strong enough as some of the other guys across from them. I think they've kind of been hampered, in a sense, by the loss of Christian Sam. You know what I, you know what I mean? Because he, he seemed like that big-time stopper in the middle of the defense, the guy who was going to clean up all the holes, get in the A and B gaps. And they've struggled without him. Their run defense especially hasn't been able to win the battle up front. But listen... It's still early in the se- early in the season, and uh, you know I just I just think it, they're they're bound to improve with all the playmakers they have on both sides of the ball. I think that we're going to see a much better Sun Devils defense come Saturday. I think they're going to come out hungry because listen, in a sense, this is a must win for them, right? They're right now they sit at two and one, or two and two. Excuse me, sorry. Coming off a tough loss on the road to Washington, where they only lost by seven points, uh, I, I just think, I just, I just think they're gonna. This is almost, this is almost a must-win for them in a sense. Yeah, I think so too. And it's, it's almost a, um, I wouldn't call it a must-win for the Buffs, but it's, it's an important win for the Buffs because they're gonna have to go and play Washington and USC on the road after this. You in the other order, USC and then Washington on the road at, after this game. So. They could find themselves in a situation where you go from 4-0 and to 4-3 and if they lose this game. So I do think it's kind of a mo- momentum changer for the Bucs. Yeah, this is where we, really where we find out a lot about what this team's made of. Now, let's go, let's go into score predictions. What, what, what are your thoughts on this? I think the ASU is going to be able to put some points on the board. Last week, I had the Buffs winning by two touchdowns, 38-24. I was off by a little bit. The Buffs ended up winning 36-16. Obviously, UCLA wasn't really able to put the ball in the end zone. This week, I'm thinking the Buffs are going to win 37 or 38-30. I'm going to see you with the win. I think that they're going to be able to put some points up against the Sun Devils. Sun Devils are going to be put, able to put some points on the board. But I think the main difference between last week and this week is that ASU is going to be able to put the ball in the end zone. Right. I, I'm, I'm pretty much on the same page as, as you. I wish I had a bit of an argument here. I'm about um, – I'd say 42-38 buffs. I think it's going to be a very high-scoring game, and, and it should be a close one as well just because both of these offenses are so good and have so much talent. I think it's going to be very hard for them to stop, and, and you're right. They are going to score, score some more touchdowns than UCLA, who obviously are only able to put one across the end zone. So, um, Yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to stick in about 42-38. It'll be a very close one. I expect it to be close right up until the end. Yeah, before we get to the Rockies and uh, bring Jake Shapiro on the line, I want to talk a little bit more about the two teams coming up uh, for, for, the, for, the, for the Buffs. Uh, Washington, look, they've been the powerhouse in the pack for a while, but they're beatable this time around. They barely squeaked by against Utah. They won by a touchdown against Arizona State last weekend at home. If the Buffs beat USC and ride into Seattle at 6-0, and I think they can pull off the upset. I, I, know, it's, I know it's a little bit down. We're, we're talking Washington. Yeah. It's going to be hard. But. They're, they're just scary because of their offensive line and defensive line are so good, and that's kind of where CU struggles. That's why I don't give CU much of a shot in that game. USC, on the other hand, I think it's very, very beatable. The Buffs have just proven not to be able to get it done on the road in the Coliseum. Yeah, especially with the true freshman quarterback, JT Daniels, and 
wide receiving core that hasn't gotten going, a defense that struggled a little bit. Washington, what's, what scares me about them is it's, it's going to be interesting to watch it from the standpoint of the Huskies secondary against the Buffs wide receivers. That's going to be a battle to watch. I was talking to a Seattle media member the other week who covers the Huskies, and he was telling me that they only recruit about four defensive backs a year, and every guy they recruit there they see as having NFL potential. So I think it, just looking at it from that standpoint, they're going to be a tough matchup. Yeah, Jimmy Lake always has those defensive backs ready to play. But I, I don't think Washington is as loaded as they were, at least in 2016, yeah. especially on that, on that back end. So yeah. I do think CU will be able to score a few touchdowns against him. I just don't think that CU's big enough and strong enough to, to beat that team. To, to beat them. That's, that's fair. But moving on now to the team in to the team that won had a big run last night we're going to get Jake Shapiro on the line in a couple of minutes the team that had a huge win last night Colorado Rockies 2 to 1 in 13th innings now this was a game let's let's recap a few guys briefly the Rockies scored in the first inning the Cubs didn't score again until the 8th inning and they scored against the Rockies most reliable receiver and Adam Adovino. There was not another run scored in this game till the 13th inning, and guess who it was? The unlikely hero, Mr. Tony Walters. Tony Walters. Batting 170 on the season. He comes up and he scores the winning, winning run. That just proves how crazy October is, huh? It was, I don't even know how to describe that game. Intense, nerve-wracking, all of the above, almost every adjective in the book at some point whether it was the Cubs scoring that run in the eighth, yeah, the Rockies scoring early. It felt like we were bouncing all over the place and you were hanging on to every single pitch, especially in a 1-1 ball game, which just made it so enjoyable. It reminds you what, what makes playoff baseball so great. And, and I remembered pretty much immediately, once we got into the heat of the battle there, once you could start to feel it that this was playoff baseball. This is a little bit different than every other game, and it was intense all the way until the end. The thing that ultimately allowed the Rockies to pull away last night was their outstanding bullpen and the good leadership within that clubhouse. A lot of people would have become completely dispirited once the uh, the Cubs scored that run at Wrigley Field on their home turf, but, you know, they, they pulled together in the locker room, and their bullpen, which has seemingly been the best aspect of the, their team as of late, was able to persevere once again behind Chris Russon and Scott Oberg late in that game. That's not something you would have seen out of this team two months ago. Exactly, and Scott Oberg has been incredible this year. We, we've talked about it um, on previous shows in the past. Scott Oberg has been kind of a difference maker for this Rockies team because their bullpen ha- hasn't been great most of the season, and he's kind of stepped up. He's not expected to be one of their great setup mans. And that's kind of what he's turned into this year. And he came in in extra innings and dominated. And then same with Sangwon Oh, who, who actually gave up a hit, unlike Scott Oberg. But Sangwon Oh was great through, I think he pitched five, five outs. Yeah. One and two-thirds. Yeah. So those two guys have been huge for this team because they haven't been able to rely on some of the guys that they used to be able to rely on or expected to rely on in Jake McGee and Brian Shaw. It's kind of been those guys that they've gone to, and they've done a really great job for this team. Yeah. I mean, I think right now one of the biggest question marks is going to be their rotation, to be completely honest. Uh, you know, they've, they've struggled a little bit recently, and they're going to be throwing Antonio Sensatella, who's been arguably one of their worst starters. He's looked much better as of recently, but he's, he's struggled a little bit, and – you know, it's it's that's that's gonna as it stands right now. That's where that's where I think the biggest question mark is for this team. I I, I just he's he's trying. Yeah, I I, I think ha, they they're gonna have to get some more consistent good starting pitching, especially considering, uh, you know where they're at in terms of hit hitting. You know, they they've experienced this Coors Field hangover through a large part of the season and you know if, if they want to win this series they're going to have to get going on the hill they're not going to be able to 
win it just in the bullpen. They're going to need to get some quality starting pitching. And and on the line right now, we're joined by Rocks Pile contributor Jake Shapiro, who's actually at DIA getting ready to go to Milwaukee for the NLDS. Jake, how you doing today? Good, Jack. What's your go-to order at McDonald's? I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> that's a, that's a good one, buddy. You're, listen. Oh, no, I'm actually at McDonald's. What's your go-to? Order? What's my go-to order? Uh, I'm not a big McDonald's guy, but I like the McDouble, and I like some fr- McDouble with no onions and some fries. Okay, too bad there's no silver mines here, bud. Right? Yeah, that's 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 a good one. But listen, Jake, you're a guy who's been to most of this team's home games. You've covered the Rockies through almost three seasons now. Yesterday, the most unlikely hero, Tony Walters, batting sub-170 on the season, gets the go-ahead hit. Kyle Freeland, who's looked good all season, seemingly took the step of becoming an ace, going six and two-thirds against a tough Cubs lineup. How surprising was that ending to you? Uh, the ending was surprising, but this is that time of year. And it's a coin flip in baseball, and we've seen it over the course of history in baseball. Any single player that is at the big league level has the talent to be the greatest player in the world for that day. Of course, a guy like Nolan Arenado is going to have more of a chance to be the greatest player in the world for a day than Tony Walters. But, you know, Tony Walters was put in that position, and he succeeded. And that's all this time of year. It's about making heroes out of guys that are, you know, role players. So it's already been announced that Antonio Senzatella is going to be starting game one. Who do you expect to be starting uh, game two, game three, and if we see the other ones as well? If the Rockies lose tomorrow, I expect them to go to with Herman Marquez on short rest uh, for Friday's game. If they win, they're going to go with Tyler Anderson. And then forward, uh, then you're going to see either Kyle Freeland or Herman Marquez, whoever didn't pitch on sun, on you know Friday's game and Sunday's game, which would be such a great story. The Denver kid having the first home playoff game at Coors Field in nine years, starting that, I mean, it would be awesome. But then you're going to see whoever didn't start that game, Marquez or Freeland, in Monday's game. And then finally on Monday, you'll probably see if it goes that, or sorry, if it goes to what, Wednesday at this point, I haven't even thought that far, you're probably going to get Anderson or Sensatella again. So, so you don't expect to see John Gray starting in the series. Do you think he'll come out of the bullpen then? Uh, I think there is a 50-50 chance, but this is the time of the year where you ask guys to do things that they're not comfortable doing. And uh, right now, for John Gray... Uh, you know, he's never pitched out of the bullpen. So right now I think that it might be uh, a thing for the Rockies where they see John Gray come out of the bullpen. But he's never started either. I mean, uh, he has never started in postseason. So this could be a weird thing for John Gray. Uh, but the Rockies the Rockies know best. They know how to put their players in the position to succeed. So you don't expect him to start at all? Is that just the vibe you're getting from uh, the team, or, or what, is yeah, that just your? He's on the outside looking in for the entire playoffs for the starting rotation. I think he could be a guy that comes in in the second or third inning if their starters in trouble. Yeah, so this Milwaukee Brewers team kind of resembles the Dodgers in the sense that they hit a lot of home runs, ranking fourth in the league, second in the NL in homers. They have guys like Jesus Aguilar and Christian Yelich who can hit the ball out of the ballpark in a hot minute. How do the Rockies contain these guys and stop the Brewers' offense, especially at this at their home bar, ballpark, where I imagine they'll need to come a ga- win a game before coming back to Colorado? Yeah, I think the series is really going to come down to that, whether or not the Rockies take one of the two in Milwaukee. Uh, you don't want to be in Game 5 in Milwaukee. Obviously, in the best of five, you got to win one on the road. But, uh, yeah, it's going to come down to the starting rotation because the Brewers have a far better bullpen than the Rockies do. And there are some issues with the Rockies, especially against left-handed hitters. The Brewers got a lot of left-handed hitters. They don't have a dominant left-handed reliever. That's the one thing that's really missing from this team. Last night, we saw the Rockies score two runs, which typically isn't enough to win. It seems like their offense struggles a lot on the road. How do you think they can get going? Uh, Well, I think a lot of it's going to come down to that they've got an off day and that they're settled in a little bit in Milwaukee. They're 
almost a week away from having played their last game at Coors Field. So that Coors hangover is going to, uh, you know, run away, so to speak. So I think their offense should be in a lot better position headed into tomorrow than it was the last two days. Uh, and, you know, you're not going to have the matchups. The Brewers are going to be going with a bullpen game all day. But this is going to come down to the third or fourth inning. The Rockies might be able to take advantage of one of their front-end guys. So the Brewers are in sort of a similar situation as the Rockies in that they they're not in the postseason very often. What are you sort of expecting from this Brewers fan base as you make your way to Milwaukee? Oh, oh, he's ordering his McDonald's as we speak, live on the radio. Live on, live on air. Mickey D's always has to be the priority. Give him a second here, and he will get yeah, back. Sometimes doesn't work. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah, for it, sure. It's all good. Just do it out loud. Make sure everybody knows what you like. I, I got a number five, which is the artisan chicken. <laughs> uh, who, uh, who for the uh, who's winning that A's game? The A's, the Yankees are currently up 2 nothing on the A's in the top of the fifth inning. Aaron Judge, as always, had a big home run early on. The Yankees, another interesting series. I know you probably aren't as informed on it, but the Yankees will travel to Boston where they'll seek redemption against the team in baseball with the best record if they win this game. Well, I'm saying I'm saying if they do win, the Yankees bullpen has been good as of late. There's still four innings left of baseball to play for the Athletics offensive-wise, as the fifth inning just ended. But yeah, I gotta imagine this team is going to be dangerous in October. Uh, the Yankees? Are you talking about? I mean, I I think their biggest holes are you know after. Severino in their rotation pack has obviously been a lot better this year. But I also think that one of their biggest holes is going to be uh, their bullpen. I don't think their bullpen is as strong as they think it is, albeit the team with the strongest bullpen in baseball is the one that they're facing right now. Yeah, that's a good point. They do have a Roldis Chapman at the back end, which I think will play into their favor. Final question to you, Jake, and then we'll let you go. What do you expect the energy to be like at Coors Field? Uh, for game three, their first playoff game since 2009. What, what, what are you expecting to see out of that place? It's going to be energetic. That's what the energy is going to be like. It's going to be loud. Uh, it's going to be playoff baseball. And, you know, I talked about this last night on my podcast, the Rocky Road podcast. Uh, you know, it warmed my heart yesterday to see Kyle Freeland in there against David Bodie, two Colorado kids. And it's no coincidence that both of them were born in 1993, the same year the Rockies were born. This type of game, this type of season, has an impact on the baseball population and the entire population of the state. I have one last question for you. Give us one reason why you think this Rockies team could win the World Series. I think Bud Black's a really good manager. I think their bullpen is been a lot better than people think it has been. Especially as of late with Scott Oberg and Chris Rustin finishing the deal off last night. That really solidified their place as a very good bullpen. Exactly, Jack. And they've got two guys, actually great, Chicago, that when they get hot, and Trevor Story, Nolan Arenado, Carlos Gonzalez, and that when they get hot, Listen, Jake, thanks for taking time out of your day at the airport to come on the Howell Stern Show and talk to us. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you and your work? They can follow me eating french fries on Twitter at Chapelicious, and they can listen to my podcast, Rocky Road Podcast. Uh, that's on SoundCloud, iTunes, all the places you get podcasts. Um, Chase, I love you. I'm so proud of you doing this. Uh, Jack, you're all right. I I, I appreciate it, Jake. Thanks for joining us today. That's Jake Shapiro from Rockspile.com, live at the airport as he orders some McDonald's and gets ready. Yeah, we had some extra features from uh, the airport PA announcer and the McDonald's work. Yeah, as he gets ready to venture on to Milwaukee, where he's going to get to watch his beloved Colorado Rockies well, not beloved. He's been following them for a while. He's been his through. beloved actually lost last night. Yeah, he, he's from Chicago. Um, he grew up pretty big Chicago Cubs fan. I know he was very excited two years ago when they won the World Series. It didn't seem like he was as much uh, 
into the Cubs this year as he has been in some years past, but that that's his beloved. Well, I think as a media member, you kind of divorce yourself from your own self-interest, as, especially when you get such a good job covering the sport that you love. It's nice for him to get away from that. But Do you have any uh, predictions for this series before we I, move yeah, on? Yeah, before we move on to the Broncos. Let, let's talk about that for a second. I think that the, Brew, the Brewers are going to win in four games. I think that it's going to be hard for the Rockies to sustain an offense that's struggling as much as it has been, especially on the road. I think their starting pitching has been really good, but they can only do so much. I mean, even if you give up three runs a game at this pace, it might be it might not be might not be enough. So I think they need to get their offensive go- offense going. I think the Brewers pitching is very good and is going to be able to keep them in check. I'm taking the Brewers in four. All right, I agree with most of your points there, and I do think that they're going to have to get one of these two games against Milwaukee in Milwaukee because if they can't get things going on the road. There's really no hope um, for the entire playoffs. So if they can yeah. come back to Colorado with it being one-one, then they're right. They're right in this series, and and anything can happen. Especially with when you got two games coming up at home, and one of them, as Jake had mentioned, could be Kyle Freeland starting, which is just an even bigger boost to your team. I think if they can steal one out of Milwaukee, they'll win this series. They lose both in Milwaukee. They're going to lose in four, maybe five. And listen, one thing playing in their advantage is the fact that they have Herman Marquez, who's really come into his own in the second half, and Kyle Freeland, who's evolved into a bona fide ace. So if they get those two guys starting in games two and three, that already gives them a good advantage. Yeah, it, it really would. It, I don't think they trust uh, Sensatella or Tyler Anderson uh, <laughs> even close to as much. And so... Yeah, they need Marquez and Freeland to kind of recover from the two big games that they had just pitched. They're probably going to pitch on short rest unless Sensatella and um, <laughs> and Tyler Anderson look really good. Then they won't have to worry about it. But, yeah, I, I do think they're going to have to feed off of them. And if they can get them starting in the two games in Colorado, I think they have a really good chance of winning this series. Yeah, that's true. Only time will tell the Rockies play game one tomorrow at 3.08. If you have class during that time period, skip it because it's going exactly. to be a great game at Miller Park and a great series as well. I know this team is going to put up a fight, and I have this little feeling that Rocktober round two is in the air with this team. There was definitely a feeling last night that, that it could be making its, a comeback. You kind of just ruined my hopes and dreams with your prediction there, but... Um, I do think that they Hey, listen, anything can happen. This team is hot. They're coming off a big victory in the wild card game. They're looking good right now. And most importantly, Matt Holiday did not even have the opportunity to touch the plate this time <laughs> around. So I think that that's a good luck omen. Yeah, and if they can get against the lefty, I think Matt Holiday could, could make a big difference in this series. Now, moving on to the more popular Denver sports team, but one that's not doing nearly as well, the Denver Broncos had a defeating, deflating loss against the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday night where they felt the game kind of slip through their hands a little bit. Patrick Mahomes and company scored 14 unanswered in the fourth quarter to come away with a big victory. This was a concerning loss for the Broncos for a couple reasons, the first of which is the play calling. It seemed like they took their foot off the gas down up 14 in the fourth quarter. They weren't being as aggressive, taking as many shots down the field. On defense, it looks like they were playing a prevent defense on second and third and long, which you can't do when you got have a guy like Patrick Mahomes and his play extending ability. And three was they're abandoning the run game completely in the, in the fourth quarter. It didn't seem like they were running the ball as much and going back to their bread and butter which was successful quarters one through three as they wore down a pretty bad Kansas City Chiefs defense. So those were the three things that concerned me there. I, I have to agree with all three things there. They, they definitely went away from the run game in the fourth quarter. The prevent defense that you mentioned wasn't working at all because Mahomes would just get outside of the pocket and boom, now you got a guy open. It, it was usually across the middle of the field and Mahomes is so good at throwing on the run that he's able to hit those guys and once the Chiefs got those drives going late in the fourth quarter, it didn't seem like the Broncos were going to slow them down. 
Yeah, that, that's a true thing. It just you, Even though they were up by two touchdowns, you just felt it coming along with Patrick Mahomes on the side. And now, granted, he did make a couple of outstanding plays. He transferred the ball from his right oh. hand to his left oh. hand and flipped it to Tyreek Hill for a first down, which I think that play really took the air out of uh, Mile High Stadium. It just felt like the crowd got out of it. And then at that point it felt like well, maybe because everybody was speechless after yeah, that. Like, I, that was unbelievable. Was, <laughs> what, uh, what are you supposed Von to Miller, react to Von that, Miller, that the best pass rusher in the league had his arms around Mahomes ankles and he somehow makes, makes a play. Mm-hmm. I, on that note though, I think the Broncos pass rush is kind of concerning. Von Miller has been good. He hasn't been great. Bradley Chubb, he's opened up some holes, but he hasn't been that, impact bona fide playmaker that they thought he was going to be and he hasn't really gotten to the quarterback at the same rate so I think that's a little bit concerning in a sense I do too but I I really worry about um the inside linebackers a little bit more and Todd Davis and Brandon Marshall and Josie Jewell who's been in on the who, who has been good and he yeah. he's Josie Jewell's very good in run defense but they can't figure out a way to stop these guys in pass defense they can't cover tight ends they're not very good at covering in, in the middle, and they don't help on the pass rush at all. And I think they're, are, they are what is really hurting the uh, Broncos' defense. Yeah, and the lack of playmakers on offense, and they're under. It seems it feels like they're underutilizing them. Philip Lindsay, obviously, has been great so far. Cortland Sutton has been one has been more than they could have asked for coming out of college as a second round pick, but. Emmanuel Sanders, Dar- uh, Demarius Tom- Thomas, Royce Freeman's been good, but he's been underutilized as well. It just seems like they need to get more people involved and get a more balanced offensive attack on all cylinders because they have the pieces to do it. Right, and you kind of you kind of mentioned is they just went completely away from the run game in the fourth quarter, and I think they were targeting Demarius Thomas a little bit too much. I don't think he's one of the top receivers on this team. I I don't even know if I'd put him in the top three at this point because I think yeah. Tim Patrick is going to be a really good player. And Deshaun Hamilton as well. Deshaun Hamilton's going to be a good player and obviously Cortland Sutton like you mentioned. So they have some weapons, but it looks like they keep on going to DT and he, he just doesn't provide the effort or the will that some of these rookies do. And I think we're going to eventually see them start to make their way over to Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick instead of DT. Now they play the Jets, Jets next week, another team that's struggling, but believe it or not, they're one-point underdogs on the road to New York. What does this team need to do to get back on track? I say they need to have more of a consistent offensive approach where they're, they're moving down the ball down the field, getting points, a lot of the drives like they have the ability to do. They need to continue to get pressure on the quarterback, and they're secondary needs to hold up as well. I just think we need a balanced approach, and I think they can do it with getting after a rookie quarterback and Sam Darnold. Right. Offensively, it's really all about balance. They they need to keep defenses on their heels. They get too predictable at times, and, and that just really hurts them, especially when they get into the fourth quarter. They have two really good running backs in Royce Freeman and Phillip Lindsay that complement each other really well, and they need to just utilize that through all four quarters rather than going away for it because you might not trust your rookies as much. That's a good point. We'll see if the Broncos can turn it around. I have to imagine if they dropped to two and three on the season, that would be deflating, and it would spell deja vu like last season where they started off so hot 2-0 and and then completely fell flat and went three and nine in their final 12 games. So I, ha- I have to imagine that something needs to give for this team. But last thing before we go, do you have any news for us on the – Colorado recruiting front. Front. I know we have some basketball news this week. Um, not too much news. There was only one official visitor this past weekend, Siale Luku, uh, 6'4", 330. We talked about him a little bit on, on last week's show. Um, some really good things uh, coming from him in some of the interviews afterwards. We'll see about that one. But I did get to see a Atkinson throw the football a little bit this past so week. So let's, let's, hear, let's hear about that. They, they dominated uh, Legacy, but and Aiden Atkinson did look really good. He made some really, really good throws. But Legacy couldn't figure out that they need some safety help against this guy because Atkinson throws a really, really good deep ball, and he had way too much one-on-one coverage just throughout the game. 
And so he was just ripping apart that defense. And I think if, if a defense kind of sees that, I think you can slow down Atkinson. You have to get a pass rush up the middle. He doesn't like getting out of the pocket that much. And he's kind of, he kind of has a delayed release with his mechanics. He likes to bring it around like the old uh, Tim Tebow. Oh. That's what I always think about when I see it. But so that kind of stuff will slow you down. So if, the, if you get a pass rush on him and you're able to cover the deep ball, I think you can, you can really slow him down. But the team that they were playing last Thursday night was not going to be able to slow him down. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, I want to ask you one more thing on that front. Are they getting any better competition down the road? Because I know he struggled a little bit. He threw a couple interceptions a week ago. H- how's it yeah, going yeah, they front? they will see some better competition as we get later in the season, and then obviously once they get in the playoffs, um, we'll see it as well. So yeah, he has had some games he struggled. He looked really good in that one game that I went to. But you really never know about these things until you're there and you see him in person. Looking at a box score, you don't know what the defense looked like against him. Like, I, I would have never known had I gone straight to the box score. I would have just thought he tore apart that defense and they had no answer for it when, in reality, they kind of just didn't want to throw out their answer. So you kind of have to go to these games and find out. And, you know, it could be the other way around as well. So um, I do think we're going to see some better competition. I'm, I'm just really interested in Nate and Atkinson. He's one of the most intriguing prospects that I've seen in the last few years, just because I really don't know what to think about him. He has two other D1 offers, so CU has kind of forced, it kind of forced CU's hand to offer him, which they have, and CU hasn't offered many other 2020 quarterbacks, so I really, I think that, that he could be their room, guy. That room is getting kind of crowded, too. That's another thing. To right, and I, they're going to have to take a 2020 guy. I think you take a quarterback every single year. I, I'm not sure if Aiden Atkinson's the answer at this point, but Coming in behind Ty Evans, it might not even matter. Yeah, that's that's a good point. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Atkinson going forward. The Buffs take on ASU at Saturday at Folsom Field in a game that will give a lot of information on where the team's at progress right-wise. Rockies, of course, have a big game tomorrow. Broncos have another game on Sunday. Hopefully they can elevate to not being the third worst team in the Denver area, but we'll have full coverage for the, on all of that for you guys going forward. For Chase Howell, I'm Jack Stern. This has been the Howell Stern Show. Have a good night, everyone.